Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and I am joined by Lauren Rowney. Lauren, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. If you watched the race, I'm sure you did yesterday. Um, oh, wait, two days ago, probably. It's actually sunny today in Belgium. Yeah, I'm, I want to get into this that. This is so typical. We talked about how the weather was not going to be a factor in my preview, um, but we'll get to it. Gracie, hello, welcome. Hello, guys, um, and apologies for all the listeners just in case my audio is not so good today. I'm, I'm camping, but I'm still excited to talk about women cycling. Oh, my Yay. gosh, her bars are gone from red to yellow, so I think we're okay, Gracie. <laughs> okay, let's have our <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> we have two listener questions, and we're going to actually, I'm going to p- put one at the end because we're going to talk about Paris-Roubaix later on. I'm also going to slot one into the middle. So we've got no listener questions to start the episode today um, because they're kind of within the racing. So let's just dive right into it. Before we talk about Flanders, I want to talk really quickly about Dwarves Dirt Flandern because it's, it's not a world tour race, but it's a midweek classic that's really exciting. And you guys didn't watch it yet, but you're going to watch it. But I, I want to talk about it. So I'm going to talk to myself about it because it was like action packed. It was like action from start to finish. It was so exciting. And there were some really interesting things that happened in it. There was a really interesting break with FDJ, DSM, and C- Cecily Utrip Ludwig. It was Brawley and Berto from, from FDJ. And the three of them were like not working together at all, which was super fascinating to watch. And then there was like a Rusa Voss move that joined them. And then there was like a bunch of weird tactics from Trek Sagafredo where they had Elise Langwargini and Shrin Van Anroy up there, but they, it was, they couldn't really figure out who to work for because Elise has been sick, which we'll talk about when we talk about Flanders. And so there was some super interesting tactics going on. So if anybody didn't watch Doors or Valandarin and you're listening to this podcast, I highly recommend that you go back and watch the replay because it was such an exciting race and it ended up with Demi Volering going solo from for 9.7 kilometers and winning. And then in the sprint for second, Kiara Consoni, who won mm. last year, got second and Voss was third, 38 seconds behind Volering. So I guess if you didn't if you didn't watch it, I've now ruined the result for you. But the build-up to the result was very exciting, so highly recommend. And it's kind of like seen as the dress rehearsal for Flanders too, so it's always like, even though I didn't watch it this year, I always loved the race um, now as a commentator, but as a rider because it was like everyone's just coming into their peak Flanders form. Mm. But there's also a bit of conservativeness there too because you don't want to crash or you don't want to be overdoing it coming into Flanders. So it's always a really interesting race. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about what happened at Flanders, but in terms of like Demi Vollering winning solo for almost 10 kilometers and then she wasn't wasn't at the pointy end of Flanders until that group reformed. So I thought that was super interesting. But I mean, she still had a really strong ride as we will talk about. So that was Dwarves. We, there's not really a ton to talk about since, since I'm talking to myself, but highly recommend. It was a good one. All right, Flanders. Flanders happened over the weekend. We don't have Tilda here and, uh, I cannot do the Tilda wrap up, but I'll try. So, Allie Wollison uh, of AG Insurance Quickstep, 
was solo for a really long time. It was super impressive ride from her, the young Kiwi on that team. Uh, Annemiek Van Vluten crashed with 48 kilometers to go, which was a pivotal moment in the race because right after that, the Koppenberg happened. And on the Koppenberg, it was chaos. We'll definitely talk about that. It ended up with Marlon Russo and Sir Silvio Persico riding just the two of them for a minute, but they were caught by Capecchi and Lorena Wiebes. So SD Works had three against Silvia Persico from UAE Team ADQ. Lorena Wiebes and Marlon Russo got dropped on the climbs afterwards. So it was only Capecchi and Silvia Persico. And then Capecchi put put the hammer down to quote Cecile Utrecht-Ludwig, who was a controversial figure over the week that I don't think we're <laughs> going to talk about. <laughs> talk about that. Um, she rode solo to the line and behind there was a group of seven that sprinted for second. I'm not as good as Tilda. I try. That was, that she's was a decent so one. Like, <laughs> I know. And she's also got that beautiful British accent. Yeah, the the accent, like the whole, the way she speaks, like she's so very calm and like, yeah. But I think starting probably with the Koppenberg is, is a good place, right? So, or before then, because Annemiek van Vluden's crash was sort of the first series of unfortunate events, I would say, for what ended up being the outcome. And I actually just turned on the coverage um, once that group of four had gone away. And I was like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> as much as I like, it was an interesting dynamic. And I I said in our group chat that maybe Sylvia Persico would pull a Stannard and beat the three ST Works riders. <laughs> like yep. maybe that was a possibility. But yeah, if you turned on the coverage after the Koppenberg, it was just like, all right, well, we went into this race thinking SC Works is going to dominate, and that was what you turned on the coverage to. But yeah, I think we should let's let's start with Anamik's crash because we went into this race not really knowing Anamik's form. She's had some bad luck, not really had the legs so far this year, but she went away to altitude, and I think we all expected her to come back and be the Anamik of the last couple years, where she's just dominant and no one can really come close to her but she crashed with 28k to go it was it wasn't the fault of anyone else it looked like she she crashed on her own accord and it wasn't it was an it was not a smooth crash like she got hit from behind by another rider after she went down so she definitely definitely would be feeling that this morning um but it was just such an inopportune time for her to crash before the Koppenberg that after she went down, she never, we never saw her again until she finished three minutes behind the, the rest of the, yeah, three minutes behind the winner. So almost four minutes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not a great day for Anamik for the world champion. You know, and we, we've seen her get um, caught out in tricky situations like this before and catch back on and then actually sometimes go on to win the race. Um, but what happened on the Koppenberg just impacted, what, four-fifths of the peloton or more? It, it actually contributed to the whole outcome of the race, in my opinion. Like, if you, I mean, you had to be in good position, of course, at that point, but I think all those riders who got stuck walking um, walking up the Koppenberg, um, she probably was just coming back onto the back, so there's no way, even with her incredible 
strength, she would have never gotten back to the front of the race. So I actually knew a journalist um, who was on the Koppenberg and she said that she was trying to walk up there and she was slipping. Um, so she didn't even end up walking all the way to the top that way. She had to go a different way. So it was really bad. It sounded bad. like it rained in between when the men came through and the women came through. Yeah. So the cobbles were really, really wet and slick. And maybe if they'd been racing up it a little bit faster with some momentum, then the outcome wouldn't have been the same. But, I mean, if anybody has tried to ride their bike or walk over wet cobbles, it is very unpleasant so it's like ice yeah it was just hard to tell it looked to me like maybe it was lippet that had kind of slipped first but like i think so many riders were just on that point of failure kind of all at the same time and it was only rooster and persico that i think they're literally the only two riders in the whole peloton that rode clean over it Mm -hmm. so it was just like dominoes and yeah, I didn't realize that it had rained because, like, all the cobbled sectors looked muddy anyway just from mm. the week's rain beforehand. And, yeah, it was so anticipated last year and it didn't quite have that impact of what we were thinking it might, but this year it sure did. <laughs> yeah, and it was cold on top of that. So it was, like, oh, cold yeah. rain and mud from the week and so it just kind of all culminated in what was a pretty unfortunate ride up the Koppenberg for the entire Peloton minus two. But yeah. So as Gracie said, over the top of the Koppenberg, it was only Rusa and Persco on their bikes. And then behind them, the next two riders were Laura Kopecki and Lorena Wiebes, who were just fastest at running up the Koppenberg and, and jumping back on their bikes. And so when the race went over the top of the Koppenberg. It was four riders out front, three of which are SC Works, and and the race was over at that point. Yep, pretty much. Um, and then, I mean, it you could see, like, the footage of all the riders sort of coming over the Koppenberg in bits and pieces, and it was just basically if, if you were in the first, I would say, 15, 20 riders, then you s- pr- still had a chance to kind of make that second group. And potentially make the race but the thing is if Lotta Kopecky gets a gap as well um under those circumstances with a rider like Rusa with her it, it's always going to be very hard to to bring that sort of combination back and not to mention that they had Weebers as well for Persico it was great she actually could get a free ride um and I was so hoping that um she would have ended up on the podium in the end but that's kind of how how it all panned out and that's bike racing as well but there's this part of me that's like no but that's not how Flanders the outcome's meant to to happen like yeah I- yeah the the situation with um with Persico when Lorena Weebus was dropped on the next climb and then it was just the three and Russo was doing a lot of the work on the front which made total sense but I was like yelling at the tv I was like Persico do not work do not work. Sit on the back. Conserve mm-hmm. as much energy as you can because I just saw it coming. I saw the Kopecky move that dropped Persico. And and she said after the race that she didn't want to go to the line with Persico because she's such a strong rider. And so she, Fast. yeah, the, the only way that she knew that she could win is to go solo. And she did. And yeah, I mean... She's only the second rider in the in women's Flanders to win it to double up on wins back to back. The first was uh, Miriam Melcher's like way in the beginning, mm-hmm. way, way early, 
early on in Flanders. I had it pulled up. In commentary, um, Bridie and I were just thinking, you know, what is going to happen with that duo of Kopecky and Persico? But you could just see Kopecky was head and shoulders above pretty much everyone else. And I was like, 100% he's going to try and go solo to the finish because that's such a sweet way to win. And she could do it. And that's exactly what she did. So somewhat boring in some ways, but at least the strongest rider won on the day. Maybe Mm Anami could have had a good day if it wasn't for that bad luck. But, you know, it's all... It's also a classic, like you have to manage the crashes and not crashing. So Anamik was taking more risks. It wasn't the only time that she was trying to move up on a gutter, on a path or Mm -hmm. where she had that crash. So it was bad luck, but it was also a bad decision. And I think Kopecky was just on a super day. Her teammates were all on really good days too, and they really did a great job as a team. Um. But, yeah, big hats off to Persico. I think she didn't – I don't think she really made any mistakes. She did pull some turns, but I think she only did it when it was appropriate, where she thought, actually, this is in my favour in these odds. So I I think she did sit on when it was a bigger group and she did ride a little bit when it was just the two of them, which I think is actually fine and not a bad thing. It was always going to be a case of whether she could go with Capecchi up the Quermont, right? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, and then also, I was saying to to my partner, it's it's a numbers game, and we know that Persico is a really fast finisher. But if she could hang on with Kapeki and then you know carry that to the finish, you're going to roll in for second place, which at Flanders is a huge thing. But um, obviously, that's not how how it ended up because of Group Two. Yeah, Group Two. We should talk about group behind the group of four that formed after the Koppenberg. There was a chasing group that was had multiple Trek Segafredo riders in there. There was three in there with Shirin, Elise Longaborghini, and Lucinda Brand. There was Anna Henderson, Juliet Labu of DSM, Kashini Odoma of Canyon, Arlena Sierra, Volering, and Elise Shabby. So there was a pretty big group that formed and they didn't ever there was a lot of attacks that flew from that group and it broke apart on the climbs leading towards the finish so there was only seven that finished together or i guess six because shirin finished uh, a little bit behind that group but it never they never were able to form a chase and that's something that we've seen a ton this year is just that group two is not working well together and especially with Trek having three and Canyon having two in there, you think it maybe would have gone a little bit different, but that is not the case. That's not what happened. So it was, yeah, it was an interesting situation with group two. And they ended up with sprinting to the finish. It was Volering who took second. So SC works with another one, two. And Elisa Lankaborghini took third, which I really want to talk about Elisa because she's coming back from having COVID and she has was vocal on her Instagram, but that she was very, very sick it, um, when she had it and did not know how her form was going to be. And she looked all right at Dwarves. She just kept getting dropped and coming back and getting dropped and coming back and getting dropped and coming back. And the same exact thing happened at Flanders, but she was able to sprint for third, which is it's incredible. <laughs> it really, really, I mean, in that group, like, she outsprinted Sylvia Persico, who's got a good kick. Kashi Neodoma took fifth, and Juliet Labu was sixth, with Rusa finishing up that group. So it was an interesting dynamic. And um, 
Do you think if they'd organized, they could have brought Kapeki back? Or do you think once uh, Kapeki went, it was just... It, I swear, it felt there was a moment before, and Gracie will know the name of the climb, the climb before the Quermont, which is a key climb, and that's where Vanderpool attacked in the men's race, and actually that created the, you know, where... Before Taj, the Quermont, the Tyenberg? Tyenberg. Elisa put in a monster turn, and the, the time was dropping down, and I was thinking, okay, this... Maybe she's thinking um, Shirin is going to launch and Shirin is feeling good or, you know, the, the Timeberg is a really good launch pad um, before the Quermont. And at one moment I was like, maybe they, someone will bridge across or get close. But it was just like at that moment and then it just didn't, it didn't happen. Yeah, I think you make a good um point abby in that like would they have caught Kapeki anyway but i think probably not <laughs> all in all Kapeki was on an amazing day but i think when it really that group kind of got whittled down near the end after the kreuzberg hotond there was two std works riders in rusa and volering and there was two track riders elisa longa borghini and shirin and then there was one of every other of those favorites and that is the problem is that those riders that are one out and we've seen it time and time again, they refuse to work because they go, it's your responsibility. And because Elisa Longaborghini fully committed, she was racing for Shirin and she was doing an amazing job. She just, she buried herself quite a few times in the race. Um, she was working super hard on the front and it's almost like setting a false tempo. It wasn't a false tempo in the way that we would say, use that tactically by riding slow on purpose. She was riding as hard as she could, but she wasn't riding as fast as Kapeki was riding, but everyone else was happy to let her stay on the front because of that high pace that she was setting. But it wasn't enough to be able to catch those two riders and ultimately one rider. And everyone else was just waiting and they've lost the race. And of course it's a gamble to do that and you don't want to be wasting your chips, especially when there's two riders from two teams there, particularly the two SD works riders. But you're going to lose the race anyway, so why not try? And I just, it just is so frustrating to see, especially Cassia, like she puts in these attacks and it almost is like she never fully commits to the attack, but also then she just never rides either. You've got to talk. You've, they should have talked to Shirin. They should have said, we will all work if both of you Trek riders also work. And at least then you're taking out one extra fresher rider from that equation. Of course, you have to deal with the two SD works riders. There's really no way around that. But just get everyone else to work and just talk to each other. Do you think, Gracie, it's also, particularly with Fra Flanders, the fear of the final two climbs, that combination? That's that definitely, that's a... Yeah, that's a really good point, Lauren. I think maybe in another race you might have seen them have a better chance of talking or working together because there is so much fear and apprehension around the Odd Quermont in particular, but certainly that combo of the Odd Quermont and the Paderberg, and that was always such a sticking point for me. Like I had to really have a lot of self-talk going into that final climb of like making myself be near the front because you want to be conservative. You're like needing to save every scrap of that last energy in those watts. And because it climbs on the concrete before you even hit the cobbles, you're just like 
trying everything to not like go into the red before you even hit the cobbles and certainly really loathe to to ride in a group beforehand so i can definitely understand why they were not riding but ultimately they'd already lost the race yeah and and we saw the classic thing where the single riders that didn't have teammates were throwing attacks but that just slows down whatever chase is happening and so it's it really doesn't i mean it's like tactics 101 and we also saw Rusa doing a really, really good job of getting up into the chase and disrupting any chase that was formed. So there was, it was, I mean, SC Works went into this race as the favorites and they absolutely delivered. I feel like there's been times in the past where they go in as the favorites and they go in with this many riders to win and they fall apart. And this was not one of those times. They came out 1-2. Although there was still some potentially awkward tension at the finish with Volering and Kopecky. Um, Volering seemed pretty stoked to get second, though, when she crossed the line. Well, Hannes, um, my partner, he was like, did she think she won? I'm like, no. No, it definitely, looked, um, it definitely looked like a little sus. Like... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, we can go into that if you want. But the, for, for me, that that said something. Like normally, what happens is the whole team comes together, and I don't know. We switched off the coverage after I think about five minutes after the race. Um, but I didn't see any footage of the the team group hub from SD Works, which I thought was a little odd. Yeah, I, I wonder if this is like a little bit of a crack in SC Works that we will maybe lead to more exciting racing to come because this wasn't my favorite edition of Flanders, although there was some really exciting moments. Um, but I think the dominance of SC Works at the moment is, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't love, I don't love it. Like, I hate to say it. I just, it's, yeah. They keep finishing 1-2, and yeah, Trek has finished 1-2 in one race, and we've had a couple other winners win other races, but the big races of the year, it's been an SC Works, just SC Works dominance. And with the riders that they have at the moment and the way Kopecky is riding, Going into Perry Roubaix, I mean, it just looks like it's going to be another repeat. Like, can anyone beat Kopecky going into Roubaix next week? It's like, or this week, I guess, end of this week. Like, she's so she's raced five races this year. And she's won three of them, and one of them she finished second by a hair to her teammate. So it's just, yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, the the biggest question going into Roubaix is who can, who and how can. SC works be beaten that doesn't make sense but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah well I think that they've definitely had a good run and some teams just haven't had a good run with injury and illness so they they are dominating but I think it's the luck is in their favor currently so it, it'll be interesting going forward I don't think that they'll be able to have that as much success in the tours maybe but yeah they're certainly on a good roll at the moment but Roubaix it definitely includes a bit more good luck and bad luck, doesn't it? Exactly. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think before we talk about Roubaix really quick, we had a listener question from Chris. Chris Young, 
What's up, Chris? Who asked, would Canyon Storm Racing have done a better job if they'd kept Elise, Micah Vandadoon, and Cassia together rather than sending Elise up the road early? And she was up the road for a little bit. She was in, she was before the Koppenberg, she was in a bit of a break that came back together. But I don't think that that really made any difference. Like maybe actually it would have been better if they sent her up the road and she'd succeeded in getting away. And that would have completely changed the, the dynamic. If there'd been a group up the front or off the front already, when Rusa and Persico came over the top of the Koppenberg first, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like we have talked so much about Canyon Stram and how they just can't quite put it together that I I don't even know like if we have anything more to say about that team and how they're riding and what their tactics are. I do really like Micah Vandadoon. Like I'm so excited for her in other races in Paris-Roubaix. Like she's such an exciting rider and I think she's a huge addition to that team. Yeah, Kasha was really emotional after the race actually in her interview. Um, made me tear up a bit because she was she was so disappointed. But it's just the same old, same old. I feel like for me, the more interesting thing is Trek Segafredo because they're in this super weird spot where they're just like really, really low on riders and really low on powerful riders. And for them, it's like, I mean, they're going into Paris-Roubaix with the... Um, with last year's winner with the defending champion who I don't know if she can, I don't think she can win it again. Like she was incredibly strong at Flanders, especially given that she was sick, but I, it's just such a different, it's such a beast of its own Perry Roubaix. But if Trek Segafredo is going to win again, like how can they possibly pull that off? It would be, I think as well with the, the women is like, this will be the third edition of Paris-Roubaix. So people are still learning how to race that race. Um, and like Gracie pointed out, it is a hell of a lot of luck there. And thankfully, this it's going to be a dry Roubaix. Um, it's looking like it's going to be dry all week. So in terms of the hecticness of rain, which it makes me cringe because it's just awful to watch people crash like that, that, that element will be gone. But teams are still figuring out how, how to race it. And I, I feel like it, it's a very hard race now to to pick a winner. And even though Kopecky, I would say, yes, she's the strongest rider for the moment, um, there are a ton of riders that are in good form and given the right opportunity at the right moment, you know, like Arusa as well as a time trialist, it's just if you, if you get that gap and you're technically very good um you know and you've got numbers uh, from your teammates in the back which can disturb any sort of chase i don't think you can really chase in roubaix um as well as other races collectively it's kind of just a race of attrition in the end but yeah for, for me it's it's the hardest race to pick a winner i i feel like that's why Kapeki's gonna win though is because she has rosa like She's riding so well right now, and the two of them together are the most terrifying duo going into to Roubaix. Like, yeah, I feel like it's going to be super interesting because, like, uh, honestly, one of the riders that I would like to see win Roubaix is Van Vluten. But I don't think that – I don't know if she's 
the way that she races her her Was she racing Rubey? I don't even know, but it's her final year, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see her on the start list. We're recording this on Monday, so the start list obviously isn't out yet, but I really wouldn't be surprised to see her race her final Roubaix, kind of like a, a retaliation for her the first Roubaix where she crashed really hard. Which is maybe a reason not to to race it. I don't know. Yeah, I could go either way, I think, because she's got so many big ambitions for mm-hmm. maybe some of the um, Ardennes classics and then definitely the Giro and the Tour. Maybe and the Vuelta is coming up really soon. The Vuelta is early. They moved the Vuelta to earlier in the year. So if she's going for the triple again, the triple, quote, Grand Tours, then like a month away, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's not... Not enough time to break a bone at Roubaix and come back. Well, it is Van Vluten. <laughs> yeah, don't say that. <laughs> She'll just race with the broken bone. Yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be really interesting. Like Gracie said, there's a ton of teams that are super strong. And going into Roubaix, maybe their luck will just change. Because there's been... I mean, FDJ Suez has a really strong team. And they had a lot of crashes. And they've had a lot of injuries so far this year. Same with Trek Segafredo. I mean... Team DSM is riding really, really well. They'll have some good prospects for the race. For me, I picked her for Flanders, and it was mostly, it was mostly like a heart pick because I wanted to prove Ellen Van Dyke wrong, um, and it didn't work out. I picked Voss. Maybe not a great call for Flanders, but she, I think she's a good call for Perry Roubaix. Like she looks super good, and she looked really good in Dwarves, and she's mm-hmm. just building her form over and over. So I think when it comes to Roubaix, like maybe we'll see a Voss victory finally. Well, it's a race she hasn't won, so yeah, I don't think anyone would um, begrudge her a win at Roubaix. <laughs> <laughs> add, add that to the trophy room; she can have it. She's allowed that. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of trophies, in the tally of Wheel Talk podcast picks for races, it's zero to everybody but Gracie. Gracie got the winner this time. I'm so yes, glad that Gracie I did kind of. <laughs> I, I kind of cheated though. I didn't really. I don't think I was really allowed the first pick. I just took it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's whoever. It's whoever can. You know, it's whoever can jump into the chat fastest and answer. <laughs> well, hey, okay, I got second. It. Matt and I got second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. And I feel like I have one fourth of a point for Get Wobblegum. <laughs> <laughs> Before we dive into a little bit more of the specifics of Perry Roubaix, are we missing anything from Flanders? I think we pretty much covered it. I think so. Yeah. All right. Perry Roubaix. So they changed the course slightly this year no no more they we still don't have the arnberg but they did add about 20 kilometers so it's almost 150k this year mm-hmm. um which is last year was i think 124 the year before 115 so they're just kind of slowly building up and this year it's 145.5 so it'll be interesting but it's more all in the front end they basically just added a longer loop to the front and so the final I don't know, 100K or whatever, are the same that we've seen the last two years with all 17 cobbled sectors. And uh, yeah, we there's not a ton that we can kind of chat about without a start list, but I think um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for Roubaix. Maybe we should reconvene later in the week and do like a 20-minute Pay Roubaix preview show. 
Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Maybe Thursday yeah. or Friday. Yeah, sounds fun to me. I'm so it. tempted to to go this year because I know as well, like it's it's so beautiful outside today. It's freaking cold, but it's really beautiful weather. And I'm like, oh, I want to go. I really want to go, but like I want to take Harry as well. So just need to figure it's out logistically. Fun. Yeah, I got to go when it was a sunny year, and I went. And- to a friend's barbecue on like sector who who knows what I can't remember what sector it was anymore. It was like <laughs> thirteen or something. It was great. Definitely recommend it. Yeah. This is right. a race. This is one of the races that Yeah. But it's like <laughs> but this race is so exciting that I feel like this is one of the races. And also it's like the time of year when we're coming out of the winter and it's springtime and it's beautiful and you're like so excited to see the sun that if if there was any race that I would travel to, and I'm firmly like a, I would rather watch bike racing on TV mm-hmm. person, it's this race. Flanders is pretty special too. I mean, last mm. night on Belgium News, I swear they just spoke about Flanders the whole night. It was just people were still there partying on the Quermont at like eight o'clock in the evening. Um, <laughs> and Hannes was like, why don't they move it to Saturday? Because then people would really probably stay out till five in the morning the next day. <laughs> yes. it's, just, it's just today is a Monday. It'd, so <laughs> There'd be riots if it was a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Those tents are no joke. Like yeah. they literally set them up like three weeks ago. They're just, it's amazing. I love it. I'm, I was getting goosebumps because that, like you guys know, it's just like a wall of noise. It's so yeah. cool. You know what, Gracie? You're going to have to come back to Belgium with Kimbers and then we'll all go as spectators to Flanders. Yeah, and, and do the sportive and yep. like fully fan Walk up the Koppenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Did you yeah. say, oh, no, I have, I do have one more talking point about Flanders. Did you guys see the um, podium girl or? Um, the podium getters, not the podium girls, being offered Fritz Mayo at the end, and they're all like, no. "Oh no, thank you." Oh, no, was, really? Was funny. Yeah, some person I don't know who it was—a journalist or a media person—was like, had and they hot said Fritz no, and and Lotta was like, "No thanks." And Elisa had like this like face that she was getting offered pineapple on pizza. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! And that I would have been like, like tradition, yes, please. That was tradition yeah, after the race. I yeah. saw a picture of the Casio posted a picture in the Canyon Sram bus after the race that Finney, Taylor Finney, her partner, brought them all. Oh, that's nice. I saw Christine Mayoris as well. She was like, she did a video to the rice and then to the fries and then reached for the fries and she for sure would yeah. have eaten them. Yeah. Um, Good job. When Good in call. Flanders. <laughs> Heck yeah. They're the best yeah. fritz I've ever tasted. Always after Flanders. <laughs> And then you go get more the next day. I will. I'll change my rule about only watching bike races on TV to go to Flanders with you guys, and, and then stay. And then you love shopping in Belgium, so actually it's perfect, Abby. I do. Belgium has such good fashion. Like yeah. I yeah. never would have known it until I went to Worlds two Maybe years there. ago or whatever. Oh, so yeah, Ghent is my favorite city. I have to say. Yeah, it is a cool city. Mm. I do Bruges like Bruges is pretty, pretty cool. good too. Bruges yeah. is a nice for a day trip. It is, you know, and you can indulge then, like in all the the typical, like you have to eat the fries, you have to eat the waffle, 
you have to buy a box of chocolates and you've got to drink beer. And then it's like you've basically ticked the list. <laughs> That's a good list, though. Yeah. All right. So our other question for the for the podcast was from Jace, and he asked for our Perry picks. But I think we're going to save that and we're going to do a mini preview show that'll be on the Wheel Talk feed later in the week. And we'll pick our Perry Bay picks when there's a, a start list. Although we, maybe we'll have to rock, paper, scissors for who picks first because whoever picks Kapeki is going to have a, an <laughs> advantage. Maybe we just take her out of the running. Like yeah. we're not allowed to pick Kapeki. <laughs> it's like when you, I think, I can't remember when we picked like the Tour de France Femme of X Zwift last year. You weren't allowed to pick Van Vliet. Weebus? Oh no, Weebus for the win. No, no, it was Van Vluden. Uh, there's only one piece of news that happened over the week that's worth talking about, really, and that's the fact that the women's tour is canceled for 2023. They were having some trouble financially already and had basically done a call, call to action to raise money for the race, and they were unsuccessful. So we will not see the women's tour in 2023, but they are hoping to come back in the future. So we'll see. I think... The state of cycling in the UK is pretty dire at the moment. So this is kind of just adding on to teams collapsing and and that. Um, so in that sense, it's a bummer to see. But yeah, um, we still have another world tour race in the UK and that's Ride London. And um, we will be more excited about that if there is live coverage this year. So, all right. Let's wrap it up. What, Gracie, what are you obsessed with this week? Oh, I'm just reading a lot at the moment and it's so nice. I just, I've always loved reading, but a friend of mine gave me like a huge bag of books recently and she has great taste and they're all good. And I've just been plowing through them. They're like a mix of great new fiction, old stuff, lots of biographies. And I just read a really good biography. It's definitely not to everyone's taste. So I'm not going to, Recommend it to everyone, but it was called Priest Daddy by Pat Patricia Lockwood, and it was just so beautifully written. And for me, watching cycling has always been so inspiring. And you know, you you just want to be as fit as those people. You want to be as strong as them. But nowadays, I just know I'll never get to there again, and that's totally okay. And so now I'm getting really inspired because I love to write and I love to read good writing and it's just like watching good athletes. I'm just so inspired by good writing at the moment. So that's what I'm obsessed with. Okay, that's really hard to beat. <laughs> no, mine's also a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so I love I also love to read. Um and my, one of my favorite authors who wrote this book, The Priory of the Orange Tree, that came out a couple years ago, she wrote a prequel to that called the, A Day of Fallen Night. And it's so good. It's like high fantasy with dragons and magic. And what's the author's name? This is like a the book. The author's name is Samantha Shannon. Oh. She also wrote a, um, I think she's British at least, she wrote a series called The Bone Season um, that's quite good as well. But yeah, her this book just came out mm, 10 days ago or something. And it's it's so good. I'm like a third of the way into it. And the writing is just amazing. I mean, it's so rich that it's almost hard to take it in. But 
the yeah her storytelling is just incredible i mean the book is like 900 pages or more so it's 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 a brick but if gracie if you like fantasy i highly recommend reading yeah i don't mind a bit of fantasy so i'll definitely take you up on that and you'll be happy to know that i've been watching shadow and bone as you recommended oh, so good oh, so good <laughs> i kind of forgot what had happened in season one so i'm like my brain's like doing the slow catch up, but it is, it is good. Yeah. And apparently they're going to have a spinoff of the, just the six of crows characters, which was my favorite books from that world. So I'm pretty excited if that actually happens. Oh, so you read the series first. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. I read all seven, eight, eight. There's, so there's three series. There's the the trio of books that's the Shadow and Bone books that came out first. And then, oh, wait, no. So there's three of those. And then there's two Six of Crows books. And then there's two that are around the Li Nikolai Lansoff character. And I read all of those before the show because I wanted to beat it. You know how, like, sometimes books are just so much better. And if you've seen the show, it just really... Maybe I'll read the books then. Maybe I'll read the books. I don't know. Instead. I think the show is just as good as the books. Okay. In some ways better. Right. I'm not going to lie. And also the show, like the, the writer of the books is involved in the, in the show, the writing of the show. So I feel like whenever that happens, it's going to be a more successful transition than when they just like you know um the rings of power mm -hmm. <gasps> terrible so bad sorry lauren what are you obsessed with i don't know if i'm obsessed and i won't then choose a book but um <laughs> i also do like to read um i'll just go with working moms on netflix because yeah they're short little episodes and you can squeeze them in every now and then oh how good is a short episode everything's like an yeah. hour I know. It's like a marathon. <laughs> it's like watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thompson and I have been trying to watch the Drive to Survive, the new season of Drive to Survive, and the episodes are so long. Yep. I wonder how they're gonna how they're gonna do the the cycling one. I guess it's supposed to come out in June. So just before we'll the tour. That... Mm -hmm. I can't say I'm excited for it, but that's because I hate Drive to Survive. <laughs> oh controversial <laughs> ah but it's so annoying like they jump around so much from race to race that there's like no cohesive no. storyline when it comes to the yeah. actual season of racing yeah and like something about all of the quotes that they use i don't know if every single person in formula one just sucks but that's like how it seems <laughs> they want there's us only to like two likable people yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a pretty weird world that's for sure Yep. Anyway, yeah, sorry about my controversial takes. But we will be back later this week to preview Paris-Roubaix. It's such a huge race. I'm so excited for it. I think it's it deserves its own mini episode. So we will be back. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you to you two for being here with me. And yeah, thanks to the listeners. I will seriously, I'm going to look at the weather again this is what I do <laughs> <laughs> and see what the weather's like on Saturday and see if Hannes is up for a drive I think it's only about an hour 
I don't know. Yeah, do it. It's fun. If it's good weather. <laughs> <laughs>